Uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's so good to be together today. I just returned uh, from being on our mission trip to Moldova. We had three different teams that have been there over the last several weeks, and uh, God is doing an incredible work, man. I just love the team. We were together and just seeing God transforming the lives of these precious orphan children. And it's amazing the difference that you're making. Uh, You're making church through your generosity, through your prayers, and just the way you love and the way you continue to go. And and you're making a difference in the lives of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of orphan children that now have a hope and a future. And I love it, I love it, I love it, and I'm so thankful. But it's also great to be back. And I'm so excited about today as we're continuing this series, The Best is Yet to Come, because it's so powerful, I believe, what God is teaching us through his word and through his truth. We've been unpacking the book of 2 Corinthians and uh, it's an awesome letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and the words are so powerful and relevant for us today. And so we started off this series and we said that God is not finished with any of us yet. There's still breath in our lungs for a reason, that God has a plan and a purpose for us. And the opportunity that we have for the rest of our lives to communicate that truth and to bring glory to God. And and what difference are we gonna make with our lives, with our story? We said the second week that our belief must equal our behavior. If we truly believe that God is for us, if we truly believe that the best is yet to come in our lives, it ought to change the way we live. (laughs) It ought to make an impact and a difference on the way we live and our attitude and our thought life and, and what we do. And we talked about heaven. And we said that there's so many misconceptions about heaven that so many people think heaven, we're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp and it's going to be boring. And we said, the Bible says it's anything but that. I mean, it is incredible what God has prepared for us and that we can invest now in eternity. And what we do with the resources and the time and the energy that we've been given, are we living just for here? Are we making a difference for what is to come? We talked about joy. And we said joy comes when we focus on what we do have, not on what we don't. And so often we spend our lives focused on what we don't have, right? I want a bigger house, a bigger car. I want more money in my 401k. I want all this stuff. And it robs us of our joy. And we said, yeah, when we focus on what we do have in Christ and we focus on what God has prepared for us, there's a joy that erupts in us. It's amazing. We talked about generosity and how that ties into joy. We've talked about how the best many times comes in our weakness and God receives the glory. And today we're talking about dealing with difficulties and dealing with challenges Now, we all have those in our lives. And maybe you're here today, you're going through a really tough time or a difficult time. I want to tell you, I'm really glad you're here. I believe that God has a word for you today, and I believe God's going to speak through his word. Uh, Maybe you're here today, and things are great. I mean, they're just perfect in your life. And if if it's so, praise God. You know, give him the glory. But somebody once said, we're either all in a crisis, or we're coming out of a crisis, or we're going into a crisis. You know, it's kind of the way it works because we live in this fallen world. We live in a broken world. Now, one day God's going to come back and redeem and restore, and it's going to be all right. But for now, but for now, there's difficulties that we face. There's challenges that we face. Uh, many of us, uh, we were watching this week, and my heart was broken for what happened at Chattanooga. I just was crying, you know, and praying, God, please be with our brothers and sisters there. Be with the churches there today. Be with, just minister to these people. It's so hard. And we live in a world of war. We live in a world of hurt and pain and brokenness. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. <laughs> I was made for another world. And you and I, we were made for another world. And in our lives, boy, we we long for that world where there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow, there is no more hurt, there's no more brokenness, there's no more 
war. I mean, we long for that, but for now, right now, we're in the midst of this brokenness. And for now, we have a God who says, hold on, I'm with you, and I will never let you go. Hold on, I'm preparing something great for you, but for now, hold on to me, because the best is yet to come. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. So we are back in this letter, and it is an awesome letter. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, a church that he loves. This is his fourth letter to that church. He had planted the church, you know, and they had these believers that were there. It was a growing church, dynamic. And then Paul went on mission trips, and he's planting churches all over the place. And Paul hears that there's some immorality and some things that have crept over into the church. And so Paul kind of writes a strong letter to say, guys, come on, you should be different. Do you realize that there should be a difference in the way that we live as knowing Christ? You know, if you're a person outside the church, if you don't know Jesus, then we shouldn't expect for people who don't know Jesus to act like Jesus. You know, it just doesn't work that way. But when Jesus came, he didn't spend all of his time, you know, uh, warring against all the culture of the day. What did he do? He spent his time redeeming and restoring people. And he knew when they had this right relationship with God, their lives were going to be changed. They were going to be transformed. And so when you're in the church, there's a different standard. There's a call to holiness. There's a call to integrity. That doesn't mean that any of us are perfect. In fact, if you're here looking for a perfect church, this isn't it. We've all made mistakes. We all mess up. But what it says is that we're striving to be more like Christ. We are endeavoring to reorder our lives around Jesus. And so we're not perfect, but we are growing. There's a different standard for us. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And even though it was a great church, some of the things that they were doing were not in line with who Christ is. And so Paul is this loving parent. He says, guys, come on. You were meant for more than this. God has a bigger plan and a purpose. Come on, walk with the Lord. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts kind of being sarcastic, right? And he goes, guys, listen what all I've endured for the gospel, what all I've endured for the truth. Doesn't that make you want to follow Christ more? Come on, get inspired. And then he comes to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and he talks about these visions that God has given him. He says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it is in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. So who is Paul talking about? He's talking about himself. He kind of goes third person on us. You know, it's like some athletes today, you know, kind of go third person. But Paul goes, listen, you know, God gave me a vision 14 years ago. 14 years ago, God kind of pulled back the curtains of heaven. He allowed me to peek in and he allowed me to understand what life is really about. He allowed me to know what difference that I can make for the glory of God in my life. And I am driving toward that. For 14 years, I've been pursuing God with everything that I have, with everything I am. Has God given you a vision for your life? Has God given you a vision for your life? Maybe God's given you a vision for being married one day or remarried one day. Maybe God's given you a vision for having a godly family. You just want to be a a grandparent who impacts generations. Maybe God's given you a a, a vision for starting a, a career or starting a nonprofit or starting a ministry. What is that vision that God's given you? 
What has God showed you? And, and in your life, you're just going, yes, I'm driving toward that. Man, that is what I want to do to fulfill God's plan and his purpose in my life. For Paul, he held on to this vision. God peeled back heaven, just like he did with the Apostle John. And he said, you know, come on, Paul. You can make a difference. And Paul was doing that. He said, hey, I'll boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Here's the thing, when you grow spiritually, you grow deeper in your walk with the Lord, you grow deeper in your knowledge of God, what it should lead to is humility. In every one of our lives, right? It doesn't lead to spiritual arrogance or pride. That's not in line with God. It leads to to humility. And Paul goes, I'm gonna boast about a guy that God gave a vision to, but I'm not gonna boast about the things I've accomplished because that was God accomplishing it through me. So when good things happen, I'm just gonna go, God, all the glory to you. I want you to be glorified. And then he comes here to verse seven. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Now, there's been a lot of debate through the centuries about what this thorn in the flesh was for the Apostle Paul. Uh, John Calvin talked about that it was a a thorn in the flesh, that it was a a desire for him to renounce his apostolic, you know, call in life, and he was constantly fighting against that and kind of go live the way of the world. Luther talked about it was the persecutions that were the thorn in the flesh, the beatings, you know, he was beaten many times uh, for the faith in Christ. Um, The early Catholic church talked about it being carnal sin, uh, that he struggled with sexual temptation. You know, there's a lot of guys, you know, and the things that he saw and he was pleading, God, take that away from me, take that away from me. The early church fathers believed it was more physical. And I think they're right. They believed it was more in line with headaches or epilepsy, that Paul suffered from just hardships in his own life, from physical pain. And, and some of you, you know what that's like. Uh, I believe if you go back and look in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul says, see what large letters I write in? I believe his eyesight was struggling. He says to the Galatians, the church in Galatia, you know, hey guys, you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me. So I think Paul either suffered with migraines and that affected his eyesight. And some of you know, physical pain, it's tough. It's hard. And Paul was was fighting this battle, this, this pain. Now there's a difference in the way Christians live versus unbelievers, right? But there's also a difference in the way Christians suffer. It doesn't mean that the pain's any less, but what it means is this, is that we know that there's a God who is greater. And we know that there is a God who can heal and redeem and restore. And we know that there is a God who is with us, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the hurt, even in the midst of the brokenness. We are not alone. We are not alone. I I don't know how how somebody far from God makes it. I mean, where's the hope, right? Where's the peace? Where's the comfort? But when we're in Christ, there is something different, even in the struggles. William Barclay is a biblical commentator. He tells a story about a man who went to visit a a teenage girl. She was in the hospital. She was suffering from this disease that she had had her entire life. 
And he went to the bookstore, he found a, a book that was kind of a happy, cheerful kid's book, and it was, you know, with sunflowers and the sun shining, and he took it to this girl, and he, he sat down by her bed, and he said, I brought you a book. It's a happy book. And she said, I know that book. He goes, really? How do you know that book? She goes, I wrote it. He goes, oh, wow. You know, and he went to cheer her up, and all of a sudden he realized, whoa, there's something different about you. You know the Lord. There's something going on in your life that's deeper here. There is something in you. And there was something in the Apostle Paul where he would say, I pleaded with the Lord to take this away, and yet God said to me, my grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And he's like, whoa, wow, wait a minute. There's something bigger happening here. There's something deeper happening here. Paul keeps going in verse 11. He said, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles. I love that, the super apostles. You know, Peter, James, and John, those guys. Even though I am nothing, the things that mark an apostle's signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. How are you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So here's the Apostle Paul saying to the church, guys, I love you. I'm your spiritual father. And any parent here knows, right? It's our responsibility to take care of the kids. It's not that the kids are going to take care of us, right? Maybe they will one day. But right now, we take care of them. And Paul's going, I am your spiritual father. I'm taking care of you. I love you. And Paul knows, I'm getting ready to make a third visit to you, and I'm going to have to go. We're going to have some hard conversations because you're making some poor decisions. And I think any parent would agree, the hardest part, I think, for being a parent many times is discipline, you know? And you're sitting there going, should I say something? I don't know if I should say something or not say something. But then you realize, I love my kids too much to let them make poor decisions. I know where these decisions are going to lead them. I know what's going to happen in their life. And so we just pray and we get the courage up to say, listen, I love you too much. I've got to tell you, this is not a good decision. This is not the right guy or right girl. This isn't the right job. This isn't the right thing. I got to tell you, you're not acting like you should. And I love you too much and I have to say that. And so here's Paul getting ready to go to them and say, guys, we're going to have a hard conversation, but I love you and I care about you. He says, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may. <laughs> I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I... I am, I caught you by trickery. You know, he goes back to sarcasm. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. He goes, guys, do you understand? I care about you. I'm pouring my heart out to you. I want you to live like Christ. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. Paul's going, when I come to you, I want you living for the Lord, but I may not find that. And you may want me to be just kind and sweet, but I may have to speak some hard truths to you. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier 
and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Paul goes, oh guys, I want you to know Christ and I want you to grow in Christ. You've got to get these things out of your life. This sexual immorality, come on, get that out of there. The bitterness, the, the bickering, the complaining, the gossip, move that out because God has a great thing for you. Now, as you look at this chapter, Paul's dealing with two difficulties. Number one is this, he's dealing with difficult people, difficult people. So if you're taking notes, this is where we kind of have some blanks right here. He's dealing with difficult people. Second one is, he's dealing with physical pain. He's dealing with difficult people and he's dealing with physical pain. Now in all of our lives, right, we're gonna deal with the same things. We're gonna deal with difficult people. Maybe today you're here and you're dealing with a difficult person in your life. Maybe it's your boss. And man, you just can't please them. I mean, you've tried to please her, you've tried to please him, and you just can't. And it is frustrating, it's hard. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody in your extended family. But there's just a difficult person in your life. Paul was dealing with that. There were a lot of great people at the church in Corinth, but there were some difficult people that were making it really hard on him. The second thing that Paul was dealing with was physical pain. You know, it's the thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Maybe you're here today and there's just a physical pain and it's hard. Or maybe it's somebody you know, somebody you love and they're in the hospital right now or maybe it's a grandparent or great-grandparent or somebody that you care about and they're dealing with that. So how do we deal with the difficulties in our life? Well, I believe the Apostle Paul gives us a pattern here in verses eight through 10. I believe he just makes it really clear for us. When you're going through difficulties or you're dealing with difficulties in your life, the first thing you should do, number one, is this, pray, pray. He says, verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Lord, take this away from me. I know prayer, it sounds simple, but, but here's what I've discovered. Most of the time, whenever we face a difficulty, our immediate response is to try to fix it ourselves, right? We immediately go, I can fix my marriage, I can fix my spouse, I can fix my children, I can fix my boss, I can fix this person, I can fix this ailment, I can fix it. And so then we just set about doing it, trying to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And we never stop to go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, there may be something bigger happening here. I gotta pray. <laughs> I gotta get on my knees and just say, God, help. Paul said three times I pleaded with the Lord. See, I believe God answers every prayer we pray. I do. I believe he answers yes. And we love that. We're like, woohoo, way to go. You know, we get, we get excited about that when he answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. And that's hard, isn't it? But if you're a parent, you know that when your children bring a request to you, you don't always say yes. You know, there, there's times that you've got to say, no, no, we can't have chocolate for breakfast again. You know, we, we, we got to, this isn't good for you. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a bigger thing happening here. It's called your health, okay? You know, whoa, 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 whoa. Sometimes the answer's not yet. Not yet. And God's going, I'm preparing you for something. Hold on. Or I'm preparing something for you. Hold, hold on. Not yet, not yet, yet. Now, we don't know if God healed Paul ultimately. You know, we don't know if he took that away. Ultimately, he did heal him, right, in eternity. But God believe God answers every prayer we pray. But I just wonder how often we pray. You see, a lot of times we get so busy, we're like, I'm too busy to pray. I think we're too busy not to pray. That, that prayer is the essence of our relationship with God. Prayer is our falling in love with God. Prayer is our understanding that, God, there is something bigger happening here. And God, I'm gonna trust you. And God, I'm gonna hold on to you. So whenever you face a difficulty, pray. 
pray. Second thing is this, believe. Believe. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's response to him, right? God's response was, listen, my grace is sufficient. I, I got to ask us a question. Is, this, is God enough for us? Is God enough? See, do we love God or do we just love his blessings? Oh, man, we can get caught up in that, can't we? Yeah, God, I'm all for you. you know, as long as you're doing what I want you to do, as long as you're answering all my requests, as long as, hey, I'm all for you. But hold on, wait a minute. If it's not going the way I want it to, then I don't know, God, you know. And Paul says, no, 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 no. God said to me, my grace is sufficient. Hold on to me. Hold on to me. Trust me. Hold on to me. Hold on to me. Have you been there? Are you there? Is God's grace sufficient for you? What he's done for you in your life? Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it says this, and we know, I love that, and we know there's just this confidence, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And we know God is at work in our lives. Now notice it doesn't say all things are good, because they're not. There's some bad things that happen in this world. There's just some bad things. And there's hurt and there's pain that we go through. But it says that all things, that God is working for good, that God is redeeming, that God is restoring, that God is not finished with us, that God is taking the brokenness and the hurt and the pain, and God is moving it into a mosaic that is going to be beautiful one day, even the brokenness and the hurt. Max Lucado, he said this. He said, it all works out in the end. If it's not worked out yet, then it's not the end. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It all works out in the end. If it's not worked out yet, hold on. It's not the end. It's not the end. And it's not the end in your story. It's just not. God's still doing something. And God is still at work. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Here's number three. Learn. Learn. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. <laughs> Paul says, listen, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because God's doing something here. And what I've learned in the middle of difficulties is that God is teaching me something. And if I will listen to him, I can learn. I can grow. Paul says, even in the hardships, I'm becoming who God wants me to be. I bet if you're honest and you look back over your story, some of the hardest times in your life are the times that you felt closest to God. I bet if you're honest, some of the hardest times in your life are the times that you probably grew the most in your dependency on God or just spiritually in your character and in your walk, even though those things were so hard and you don't want to go back and do it again at all, right? But, but right now you just go, yes, there's something that happens in the midst of those difficulties. And so whenever you face the difficulties and whenever they come, say, God, what can I learn? Maybe I need to learn something about me, <laughs> Maybe there's something in my character that, that's causing friction in relationships. Maybe, maybe there's something in me. Maybe my pride or my selfishness is, is impacting my marriage or impacting my family. God, teach me. Or maybe there's something in my life and I didn't cause it at all. I didn't do anything wrong. And yet there's a brokenness or a pain that I'm going through. 
You see, I, I don't believe that God causes these difficulties in our lives. Now, I believe that sometimes God allows these difficulties in our lives. If you go back, what did Paul say? He said, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. We live in this fallen world and we're all gonna have those difficulties. But when we go through those, God, what can I learn? How can I grow? How can I become? And God, teach me to be a man of integrity. Teach me to be a man of character. Teach me to be a woman who loves and offers grace even when it's hard. The fact is hurt people hurt people. And it's going to come in our lives. But how do we respond? How do we learn? How do we grow? Here's number four. Watch. Watch. Paul says, verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions in difficulties. Now, how does he say, I delight in these things? I mean, I'm not there yet, right? I'm trying to grow spiritually, but I haven't got to the point where I delight in difficulties. But Paul says, I delight them. Why? Because I believe that's where Paul says, I see God. I see God in the difficulties. I see God in the challenges. And Paul's talking about, I was shipwrecked. I was in prison. I was beaten. And, and, and yet in the midst of it, I knew that God was with me. I knew that he was there and he held on to me. And somehow God was glorified in it. Somehow God did even measurably more than I could have ever imagined in the midst of that difficulty. And I saw his fingerprints at work. And I believe when we go through those difficulties, those are the times, those are the times, and maybe this is the time for you, just to open your eyes and say, wow, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. As I mentioned, I, I returned recently from our mission trip to Moldova. And it's incredible what God's doing in this, this small country in the former Soviet Union, right there between the Ukraine and Romania, and just seeing all of these orphan children. It, it was awesome being there and loving on them and watching them come to know Christ and watching them being physically you know, saved in so many ways, and just amazing what's happening. And so we had this incredible time, incredible week, and then we get on the plane in Chisinau, and we're flying back home, and I always tell our teams... When we go over, try to sleep on the long flights because you can get on the time real quick over there. And on the way home, stay awake the whole time. And if you can stay awake the whole time, when you get back here, you'll sleep, you'll get on the time faster, you won't have as much jet lag. So, you know, we leave the house early in the morning where we're staying, we go to the airport, we're waiting at the airport in Chisinau, the capital of Moldova, and then we fly to Munich, and then we're in Munich, and then for a few hours, then we fly nine and a half hours, you know, or about four movies, uh, all the way back to, that's how you measure it, you know, so then you fly all the way back to D.C., so we get into D.C., and uh, we've landed in Washington, Dulles, and we've been up about 22, 23 hours now, the entire team, and after a whole week of work, and Everybody did an incredible job. We had an awesome team, and it was just so fun serving there. So immediately when we land, what do you do when you hit the tarmac? You immediately grab your phone, right? You're like, I've been nine and a half hours without it. You know, you're shaking. And so you get the phone, and you start to look, and all the emails are coming in, and you're looking at that. Well, we land about four o'clock in Washington. I pull out my phone. I start going through emails, and boom, it pops up from United. Your flight to Nashville has been delayed. I'm like you got to be kidding me. You know, we've been up 22 hours. It has been delayed till 10.30 p.m. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, we can handle that. Then the next email, your flight's been delayed till 11.45 p.m. Okay. Then the next email, your flight's been delayed till 12.58 a.m. And I'm like, 
I've been working on this sermon, so first thing I did, honestly, was pray. I was like, okay, God, <laughs> that's number one point. God, we're tired, and I know this is a first world problem, but we're exhausted. And Father, if there's any way you can get me home, I know I've got three little girls that are <laughs> missing their daddy, and I want to see them, and God, please help. Because I knew that United had had a computer glitch the day before, and I knew it was going to be like, if we can't get on this flight at 12.58 a.m. in the morning, it's going to be days before we get home. And so I just prayed and I like told our team and they're all looking at me and we're like, oh no. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. I'm worried about it, you know. But then I put my phone up. So we go through customs. We come to the little, uh, you know, desk for United, the customer service. And I said, hey, we've got this group where, you know, 13 of us are traveling to Nashville. We want to get home. And, and they're looking up and they said, well, your flight's supposed to go out at 1258, but... We're not sure it's going to happen. You know, we had a computer glitch. I'm like, yeah, I know. And they said, so we'll try to get you home tomorrow, but it may be Sunday, it may be Monday. We're not sure. Like, we're not sure, you know, like, great. So for two hours, we stayed there, talked with United, we're trying to figure it out and everything. And they said, why don't you guys, you know, I know you're tired and it's about eight at night now. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and go get something to eat and then go ahead and go to your gate gate A3. And you can sit there and maybe about midnight we'll call you and tell you what you're going to be on the flight or not. I'm like, okay, great idea. You know, so, so here we are and I'm thinking, all right, so guys, let's go get something to eat. So it's eight o'clock. We go get something to eat. And finally about 9.30 or 10, we start to head down to our gate A3 to go down to see if we're going to be able to get home and see our kids and everybody else. But so we're walking down the airport. We, we're in Concourse C. We have to take a train because if you've been to Washington Dulles, huge airport, right? So we take the train to Concourse A. We get off of Concourse A. We're walking down the hallway. We're dragging our luggage. We're dragging our teammates, you know, because everybody's tired. And we're coming down and we're going A3 is like at the very end. I mean, it's like the last possible place. We go down this escalator down kind of this dungeon area. We walk kind of back there. We come around the corner and there's A3 and we're going to be sitting here for a while at A3, but we walk there, we see A3 and immediately from behind the desk at A3, I hear, Jeff! I'm like, what? And I look up and behind the desk is Patricia. Patricia. And Patricia comes running out behind the desk. She gives me this big hug and she says, selfie. And so we take a selfie right there as Patricia. (laughs) First thing we do. And Patricia, she was just on our mission trip in February to the Amazon with JMI. Her husband is the family pastor at Reston Bible Church in DC. Now of all the gates in all of Washington Dulles in the entire huge airport, we go to A3 and at A3 is Patricia, our friend who is so excited to see us. And I was like, Patricia, I can't believe that. She's like, Jeff, you look so tired. I said, yes, I am tired, but we've been up for like 25 hours. And she goes, don't worry about it. I got this. And I said, Patricia, we just want to get home. She goes, I'll get you home. And I said, well, they told us at the desk, they weren't sure. She goes, uh, don't worry about them. We'll figure it out. So she goes back there and on her computer, she's like calling the pilots, making sure they hadn't timed out. She's talking to us. She's got us rebooked the next day. She's like, listen, we're going to be on that flight. You're going to get home tonight. You're going to get home by 1.30 tonight. We're going to make sure it happens. And if not, you know what? There's another flight. I'm going to get you home by 12 tomorrow. It's all worked out. I've got it rebooked. And listen, I've got to leave here in about 15 minutes. But here's my cell phone number. She takes my cell phone. She puts it in my phone. And she goes, you call me. She said, if something happens, this the flight doesn't go out tonight, listen, I will come back here. I've got friends. We'll come back. We'll pick up the entire team. You go to our house. You can spend the night. We can sleep on the couch and on the floor. I'll cook you breakfast in the morning. We'll bring you back. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. 
And I just thought, God, thank you. God, you know what? I just needed a sign that you were here, that you were with us. And God, you put an angel at A3, you know, and just said, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. And sure enough, we get home at 1.30 in the morning and I just said, thank you, God. God, you're good. Yeah, we were still tired, but God was just like, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I want to tell you, when you go through difficulties, when you go through challenges, open your eyes. And maybe it's a song that's sung. Maybe it's a word of scripture that's read. Maybe it's something that a little child says to you. But you watch, you watch. I love this about God. And he just gives his fingerprints and says, hey, I'm with you. I love you. I care about you. I haven't forgotten about you. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there was this army that came against the prophet Elisha. And Elisha's sleeping. And Elisha's servant goes outside, he sees this army surrounding them. And and God says to Elisha, Elisha, your servant, he's all worried and the servant comes running in and is like, Elisha, there's an army out there. And Elisha walks out and he's like, yeah, God opened his eyes. And the servant's eyes were open and he looks around and there's chariots of fire all around the army. And Elisha just looks over at him and goes, hey man, listen, the one who is with us is greater than the one who's here. Check it out. Here's number five, trust, trust, trust. The apostle Paul ends this section right here. He just says, hey, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, God is doing something in your life. God is doing something big in you. Trust him, hold on to him. It says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Trust him today. Trust him today. Back in the Old Testament, the people were living in the city of Jerusalem and they were conquered in 586 BC by the Babylonians. The children of Judah were taken away. They're living off in exile now. They were worried. They were afraid. Can you imagine having to leave your home, having to leave everything? And God speaks to him through his prophet Jeremiah. And God says, you write a letter to him and tell him what I say. And in Jeremiah 29, in verse 11, here's what God says to his people. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and will listen and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Are you seeking God with all of your heart? You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And God said to them and God says to us, hey, I have plans for you. I have plans for you. When we were with this orphans in Moldova and The scariest part for them is when they get to ninth grade because in ninth grade, they have to leave the orphanage. At the age of 15, they end up out on the streets. They have no place to go. Many of the girls trafficked in prostitution. Many of the boys end up organized crime or committing suicide. It's just heartbreaking. But by God's grace and through your generosity, church, we've been able to to start Justice and Mercy International. Now we have transitional living home for girls and transitional living home for boys. And we have independent living. So when they come out of the orphanage, they have a place to go. And as we're talking with these kids, and now we're seeing these kids coming to know Christ. And we're watching them learn English. And now they're going back in the orphanages with us. And they're sharing the good news of Christ. And every one of them, you know what their theme verse is? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope 
and a future. And everyone says, you know what? I knew that there was something out there. I knew there was transitional homes. I knew there was hope and a future. And I just held on to that. And maybe today that's the verse that God just wants you to hold on to. Maybe today you just need to hear God say to you, for I know the plans I have for you, personal, for you, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God is here. (laughs) And God is here to meet you. And God loves you more than you could ever dream or ever imagine. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come and they're gonna lead us in just a time of response. Maybe you're here today and you're in the midst of a crisis. Maybe you're here today and things are really hard. Maybe you're here today and things are really good and you just wanna say, God, thank you for your faithfulness in my life because I've been there, right? We're either in a crisis, we're coming out of a crisis or we're going into a crisis. And God, thank you for your faithfulness. But if you're here today and you're in the midst of a crisis, I I wanna just pray over you. If you're going through a really difficult time, would would you just simply raise your hand and I, I can pray specifically over you or for you? Can you just do that? Just kind of raise it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So as our worship team just starts to play, I, I want to pray over us right now. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, just right where you sit. Father God, here we are. God, we are living in a broken world. We're living in a hurting world. But Father, we know that you are more than enough. And so God, today we come and we trust in you. God, today we come and affirm that you are our God. We come to say that your grace is sufficient, Father. Even in our hurt, even in our pain. God, I pray right now specifically for those who've raised their hands. And God, I pray that you would meet them where they are. I pray that you would wrap your arms around them, God. I pray that they would feel your touch. I pray that, God, you would open their eyes to your fingerprints, that they would watch and see. I pray that you would bring relief and hope and joy. God, we need you, Father. Father, I pray for all of us, Lord Jesus, that you would be enough, that we wouldn't be just worshiping your blessings, God, but we would be worshiping you. And that we would find our hope and our future in you. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your presence. And God, we love you so much. Great is your faithfulness to us. And we rest in your faithfulness today. Mm